Amen. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Thanks for being a part of Outward Church. I, uh, uh, this, this weekend, our theme has been the incredible injustice of the cross and the incredible injustice of our resurrection. The incredible injustice of the cross, Jesus having gone to the cross for us, and the incredible injustice of our resurrection. Uh, this morning we have, uh, we have a, some, some techie stuff, uh, some ways for you to be involved with us. And so uh, there's some instructions on your screen, but uh, here's some questions for you that we'd love for you to answer uh, via text. And you can look at your screen and you'll see um, how you can answer those. But the first question is, uh, what do you feel fearful about? What causes you to be fearful? Uh, what do you feel shameful about? Or where do you feel a sense of shame in your life? What has scarred you emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually? What has scarred you? What scars do you bear from the things that have happened to you? And how have you been sinned against? So these are some questions that we'd love for you to answer. Just a one-word answer. You can text those, text those in one word per text, um, but participate with us, and, and we'll be engaging with those. We, we sent these out earlier to our, uh, our, our leaders and some other people in community groups throughout our church, and so some of the answers that we got were, were helpful. Uh, others were not, such as Elmo. And I, I don't understand why uh, Elmo would either be, uh, you know, something that you feel shameful about or fearful, like Elmo, the uh, Sesame Street character, but uh, you've got bigger problems than the resurrection can fix, and so uh, we're, we're hoping that you can get through that. But in any case, this morning we're talking about why should I care about the resurrection? Why should I care about the resurrection? What difference does it make that Jesus was resurrected? And so I want to communicate that to you this morning about why you should even care about, about the resurrection and, and what that even means. Why does it even matter that Jesus was resurrected from the dead uh, so many years ago, and how does that affect us today? You know, normally we'd be in one of the Gospels, uh, either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and, and talk about um, the actual story. Today I want to take you to a, another passage, and that's in Ezekiel chapter 37. That's Ezekiel chapter 37. It's a really famous passage uh, that talks about these dry bones. There's lots of songs that have been written about it. Um, there, there's, there's references, in, in, uh, at least in Christian culture, uh, to it uh, very frequently. But we're going to be talking about, uh, talking about Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, what Ezekiel chapter 37 uh, tells us about is it tells us about the nation of Israel. It tells us about this, this nation, Israel, that is in exile. Now, exile is basically the idea that you have been taken from your home, and Israel has been taken from its home, the nation of Israel, the nation that God created as a founding father. This nation was taken from its home, and it is now in exile in Babylon, a foreign land. And so let me read the passage for you here, and then we'll get going. Ezekiel chapter 37, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. 
Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it declares the Lord. Now, you might be asking some questions here, like what in the world does this have to do with us? What, why, why does this even matter? I think it matters a ton. And the reason is, is because I think it's kind of a, it, it's, it's a story that helps us understand our story. It's a story that illuminates what's actually going on in our lives, what's actually going on in our world. Now, what you saw here in the beginning of the passage, it might sound like this should be a Halloween sermon, uh, which I don't do too many of, but this is actually an Easter sermon, and so we're communicating about life and resurrection. But first, we need to understand this idea of death first, so stick with me for just a few moments. But it's talking here about how this nation Israel is, uh, is in exile, and they're in this place where that seems pretty desolate. They are God's people. God has given them everything that they have. God is essentially their forefather. God, I mean, he's God the Father. God is like, you know, a little bit like George Washington or our, our founding fathers in a sense of our country. But here is God. He is over them. He's given them everything that they have and everything that they need. And these people, this group of people, Israel, have done something which is they've gone off track. They've kind of left the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights or what have you. They've left all that in the dust, and they've gone their own way. And essentially, we see this in the end of the first section here in verse 6. It says, you shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am the Lord. And that is contrasted with the idea that I'm going to put my breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, what in the heck does that even mean? Because you would think that Israel would know that he is the Lord. But really what's happening here is that when you read the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's a prophet, and God has called him to speak these words to Israel. 
And so as you read the book of Ezekiel, what you'll see over and over and over again is this is a judgment that God uh, declares to his people. He says, you're living like this, and I'm going to send this judgment, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I mean, if you, if you were to do a little bit of a study on it, which, which I did, I did a printout of all, all the verses. I mean, it covered three pages of all the verses that have this phrase in it. And you shall know that I am the Lord, and you shall know that I am the Lord. It would seem that God's main purpose, that what God wants Israel to know, is that he is the Lord. Now, why don't they know that he is the Lord? Well, the truth is that these people... Although they had received everything from God, their life, all of, all of their stuff, their culture, all of those things, although they had received all of those things from God, they decided to build their identity on something other than God. Instead of going God's way, they decided to go their way. They decided to follow their culture. They decided to follow what they wanted to do. And sooner or later, they came to a place where they did not know that he is the Lord. But what does that even mean? It means this. It means that they do not see him as the one that they should submit to. They do not see him as the one that they were created for. This story might even sound familiar to you. It's a story that happens repeatedly in the scriptures, and it begins in the garden with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are created by God. They're given everything by God. They have a relationship with him. They walk in the cool of the day with him. They spend time with him. Their, their, their bodies, their life, their fullness, everything about them was given to them by God. And yet God gives them one rule, and they choose to break it. They choose to not submit to that. And instead, what they do is they, is they say, we're going to build an identity on something other than God being our Lord, Lord as in someone that we should be submitted to. We're going to build our identity on something else. And this is exactly what Israel has done here, is that they, they decided to build an identity on something else other than the Lord. And so this picture that we see in Ezekiel is a picture of this nation you'll see in just a moment. This nation as it is in a vision. God shows Ezekiel this, this picture of this nation with these scattered bones all over a valley floor. And it's a pretty desolate image. These bones are very dry. They lack fullness. These bones are lifeless. There's nothing there. And so God is going to do something incredible in spite of the fact that Israel has repeatedly over and over and over again decided that we don't want you to be our Lord. God has gone above and beyond, and he said, but I'm going to bring you to life. I'm going to bring you to life. And so it's this amazing picture of this. And so it says in verse 7, it begins to happen. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones, they come together, bone to its bone. And it's so that, that you, you see this body that's coming together. You see what's happening, that these bones are coming together and flesh is going on these bones. It's a recreation story. It's God taking these raw materials of bones and he's putting them back together. And they, and, and it, they, begin, to, they begin to take on life. And then he calls on the breath and he says that they may live, that they need this breath to live. 
And then he says, so I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What is God doing? God is bringing about a national resurrection in a sense. This is what I'm going to do in your life, God says. In spite of the fact that it doesn't seem like they're even repentant, God has already promised something to them. God is already communicating to them that I'm going to do something amazing in your life in spite of the fact that you're dry bones and that you're on the, the valley floor and that you don't have anything to offer me. God says, I'm going to offer you something. I'm going to bring you back from this place. I'm going to resurrect this, this thing, this life. And so what does he say? He says in verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Now, what is, what is that saying? It's saying this, like God comes to these people and he says, listen, you are dry bones. You're on the valley floor. You don't have any hope. And they finally come to the place where they say, you know what? It's true. It's true. Our bones are, are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be dried up? What does it mean to be, uh, to have no hope? What does it mean to be cut off? Well, I don't know if you might not feel that way. I don't know how you feel in your life, but we ask some of these questions like, what are you fearful about? What do you feel shame about? What do you feel scarred by? How do you feel sinned against? And we got, we got some, some interesting responses. Security. Failure, doubt, selfishness, death, judgment, gossip, abandonment, rejection, regret, overeating, disrespect, pain, loss, divorce, criticism. As of last night, the most popular word was failure. What is this? All of those words represent something. All of those words represent the idea and the reality that all of us are a part of an, of an even greater exile. See, in the midst of this exile that Israel is in, they have lost everything. They've lost, they've lost their direction. They've lost their culture. They've lost their land. And as a result, what's happening is this, is that they're, they're trying to find meaning outside of God. They're trying to find meaning in all of these things, and yet they keep striving, they keep striving, they keep striving, and yet at the end of it, where they get is they get to this place of dry bones. It's just that they're, they're dried out. They don't have anything left. And men and women, this is where we are. We're in an even greater exile because of Adam and Eve's sin, because of what they, done, what they have done, their sin was passed on to us, and it has brought us into an even greater exile. So you and I, we actually live in exile right here and right now. 
We're not living in the place where, where we were designed for. In fact, death was never supposed to be a part of the plan. Death came into the world through sin. Death comes into the world through sin, and what death does is that death motivates our sin. Death motivates our fears. Death motivates our shame. Death motivates all of these things. Do you see what's happening in your life? Through all of the things, the failures, the, the shame, the hurts, all of those things come to us as a result of death entering into the world because of Adam and Eve's sin. Each and every one of us is living in a world that we were not designed for. And what happens is this, is that we were designed for this reality that we would know that he is the Lord, that we would know that he is ultimately and finally in charge, that we would know this. And yet what we do repeatedly is we try to find meaning. We try to build our identity on something other than the true and the living God. And this is where death reigns supreme in our culture. All of the ways that you experience shame are, be, are, are motivated by the reality that you want to try to find life outside of God and that I want to try to find life outside of God. All of the ways that you've been hurt and sinned against are because someone else or something else was trying to build an identity on something other than God, that death was reigning in that situation, and that is why you experience abuse. That is why you've experienced the things that you have. Why do we need the resurrection? It's because death is reigning. Death reigns in our culture. Death reigns in the partisan arguments that are going on in and throughout our culture here and now today. And I think right now, as, as we're in the midst of this stay-at-home order here in Oregon because of COVID-19, I think what it's doing for us is it's putting some pressure on our lives. Not, I, I, don't, I am not happy that coronavirus is here but what I can say is this, is that this has caused us to think deeply about death. Do you see what's been happening here? Do you see what's been taking place? That, that there has been just such intense political discord in our world. There has been such intense political fighting between the impeachment hearings and then the Supreme Court hearings and, uh, and not just on the political scale, but socially, culturally, whatever you want to whatever you want to say, our world is in disarray on so many levels. But do you see what's brought us together? What's brought us together is the reality that there is a virus that is going through our world and indiscriminately ending lives. Do you know what's brought us together? The fight against this death. Do you know what that points to? It points to this reality that death is the real enemy. Death is the real enemy that brings us together because we all know that regardless of how old the folks are that this virus affects, regardless of that, we know that this should not be happening. We know that death should not reign supreme. You know it in your heart 
that death should not be the end result. And I know that as well. And COVID-19 has brought that to the surface for us to see. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, I resonate with that reality that maybe I do feel like dry bones. My life lacks a fullness. My life lacks this, this idea that I have a, a, a body. I just feel dry. I feel like something's missing. I feel like something's not right. And this is what Israel experienced as well. We are dry bones. And it's like we're laying on the valley floor and we don't have hope. Their present reality just, just feels like there's a lack of fullness, like there's a dryness. Their future, their hope is lost. Have you thought about hope recently? What, what are the hopes that we have? I watched the news just last night as it was talking about like people are beginning to hope that the stay-at-home orders are going to be lifted and that businesses will be able to open again. And so there's like a glimmer of hope there. But all throughout this crisis, there's been some things that we've seen. And that is that there are moments in our days where it feels hopeless. There are moments uh, throughout this crisis, like during the first week of this crisis, where it felt like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to the economy? What's going to take place? What's going to happen because of this? Because death, the enemy, is coming through our world and it is wreaking havoc. And we feel hopeless. But I just got to tell you something. That every area of our life where we try to build an identity on God will ultimately lead to hopelessness. Someone can always take your money. Someone could always cheat you. Someone can, or something or someone can take your health. There's, there's always something else that can happen. There's always some other reality. And it's because of that that we experience anxiety and we experience fear. And ultimately what it boils down to is the fear of death. It's the fear of death. This is what's driving our world. This is what's driving what's happening in the partisanship, in our politics. It's what's driving us deeper into our camps. It's death and it's reigning supreme in our world. And as a result, if you really think about it and you really come down to it, you might also say that you also feel like Israel, that you're not just dry bones, that you're not just hope without hope, but you might feel cut off. You might feel cut off like death is going to get me sooner or later. But I have an answer for you. I have, I have, I have something that can bring about incredible peace. It's the greatest peace that you can know. It's the greatest help to you. <clears throat> You don't have to live a life that's constantly responding to death, that's constantly believing that death is going to be the final word on your life. You don't constantly have to be living in fear and insecurity 
of death. You don't constantly have to be driving yourself to try to experience more and more life so that you can deaden the sense that death is just around the corner. Our world wants you to believe that he is not the Lord. But what this is telling you right here, that he is the Lord. And will you listen to him? Will you submit to him? So it says in the next verse, it says, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Now, why, why, is that, why is that a great thing? Because when you come to the point where you finally say, okay, God, I have dry bones. My hope is lost, and I feel cut off. Do you know what that is? That's, that's repentance. That's saying, okay, God, what you say about me, what you say about this world is true. That's repenting. That's saying, I have been living in death all of my life. I've been living under this. And what, what it says here is, is, is it says, behold, I will open your graves, and I'll raise you from your graves, O my people. This is the remedy for dry bones, that God is going to open the grave. He says, I'll bring you into the land of Israel. What's he, what's he giving? He's saying, I'm going to give you a new hope. I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you what I had get, always had for you from the very beginning. You and I were not designed to live in a world that's riddled with death. But God is promising a new land, a new hope, something other than this. And you shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, oh my people. Do you see what God is doing here? He's saying, it's like he's, he's eagerly saying, this is what I want to do for you. I see you in the midst of all of the things that you've dealt with. I see you in the midst of that. And I want to call you my people. You're my sons. You're my daughters. He's claiming you as his own. And he says, I have a new land for you. I have a new future. You're going to know that I'm the Lord. And, and it says this, oh, my people, and I will put my spirit within you. And you shall live and I will place you in your own land. It says it again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Now, what does that mean for us? That God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way for you and I to not live in death. That God, through Jesus Christ, has made it a way for us to not have to always be living under this curse of death. God has made a way for it. God has made a way, and he has brought us into this new place. It's like in Ephesians chapter 2. It says in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were in this place where you're dead because you're experiencing all of this stuff that's happening to you, and you also, and I also, are people who commit sin. We are exercising death in our world. But it says in Ephesians chapter 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
But then it says, skip to verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, the promise that God offered to Israel is the promise that he offers to us. You see, what God does is he takes all of the things that we feel shameful about. He takes all of our failures and he puts them on the cross. He takes all of our security and he takes care of it on the cross. He gives you security through his cross. He takes all of our anxiety. He takes all of our pain. He takes all of everything that we have, and he puts it on the cross. He takes all of our lust. He takes all of our rejection. He takes all of our miscarriages. He takes all of our death, and he conquers death on the cross. He takes it out on the cross. Because of this, he goes to the cross. He takes all of that pain, all of that sickness, all of that death. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And Jesus takes it out on the cross. Jesus pays for it. And he says, this was never supposed to be. This was never supposed to be the situation. And he takes all of that stuff and he puts all of it onto the cross. He takes all of that and he says, I've conquered sin and death. I've conquered pain. I've conquered all of those things because he endured all of that. He took it and he went to the cross for you and for me. But he doesn't just stop there. He is raised for our justification. See, the, the incredible injustice of the resurrection is this, is that in spite of the fact that I do not honor him as God, in spite of the fact that I do not say, like, that you are the Lord, in spite of the fact that I've tried to build an identity on something other than God, in spite of the fact that I just exist in a world of death and I just exude death through my sin, Jesus makes it possible for you and I to receive the resurrection. See, the promise of Christianity is not that if you're a good person, then you can go to heaven. That's karma. That's not reality. The promise of Christianity is this, is that more than, more than be becoming a good person or the possibility of that, that God looks at you and he decides, I'm going to love you, I'm going to care for you, I died for you, and I'm going to awaken you to that reality. And how does he do that? Well, it says in John 20, 21, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
Do you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, you can't live life on your own. Like when Jesus comes and he saves you, he saves you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Did you see that in this passage here in Ezekiel? That the power of the Holy Spirit comes over us, and he is the one that brings us life through the power of the resurrection. See, God promises you life in the midst of death. God promises you that you don't have to live in fear. You can live in the reality that God has ultimately and finally, that he ultimately and finally has us under control, that death will not be the last word in your life, that you will not be in that place forever, that you do not have to live as dry bones. I don't know, do you see yourself as that? Sitting on the valley floor, do you see yourself as somebody who has lost hope? Do you see yourself as somebody who feels cut off from God? I need to tell you that this morning you can receive Jesus Christ and his resurrection for you, that it, that it should not be offered to us, but it is. It's an amazing deal. It's better than free money from the government. It's freedom from death. It is life eternal. You no longer have to fear death. You no longer have to live in death. Jesus offers that to you this morning freely. And so how do you receive it? Well, first of all, I think you also need to acknowledge the reality of who you are without Jesus Christ. The reality of who you and I are without Jesus Christ is that we are people who are operating in death. We're dry bones without hope and cut off. Are you at that place? Are you, are you, are you in that place where you, where you would just say, I'm, I feel that sense of separateness from God? Maybe you're somebody that you've been going to church for some time. Maybe you've been a, been a part of a church, but there's never been a moment in your life where you decided, like, you know what? I need to, to say the truth here. I need to agree with God. I have not lived with him as my Lord. You've, you've attended church uh, occasionally, and yet you just have never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've held off on it, and yet death is reigning in your world and in your life. And you see it in the effects of, of your relationships or maybe your marriage. You see it in the, in the effects. And you know there's a sense of being cut off. But you just keep numbing that pain. You just keep numbing those things with just adding drug use to it and adding whatever it is that you do. Killing it with pornography. Or just more work. Or maybe it's working out. Whatever it is, you're just trying to kill the pain. You're just trying to stop that gut-level feeling. And Jesus is calling you, and he's offering to you. He's offering life to you. And you can receive it right now. The first step is to repent, to say the same thing about your sin, and to ask that Jesus would come into your life. And I got to tell you, if that's even something that you want to do, that God is the one who's already working on your heart. God is already the one who's opening your heart to receive him.
And so as a result, I want to invite you to pray to God and say, Lord, I, I want to be saved. I want to have relationship with you. I want to walk with you forever. I no longer want to be fearful of sin and death, but I want to have relationship with you. And he always answers that prayer. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he will awaken you and he will allow you to see who he is. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit this morning. And so I'm praying that that, that is something that you're doing uh, this morning, if, if that's you. And so I just invite you, if, you made, if you've made a decision like that, that you go to outwardchurch.com forward slash connect and that you would tell us about that decision. And so this morning as we, as we wrap up, I just want to invite you to communion. I'm going to invite the, um, the band to come forward here. And uh, so on, on Sundays, what we do is we come together and we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And this morning is, is no different. And so we partake of the, the Lord's table. And the Lord's table is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said as he uh, was about to be crucified, he said, I want you to do this together. I want you to participate in this together. And so he takes this, this bread. He takes this bread and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood that's been poured out for you. When Jesus went to the cross, he had you in mind. And so this morning, what we do is we're going to take a couple moments here. Just before we take, partake of the elements. And let's just pray. Let's just thank Jesus for going to the cross. Let's thank him for having saved us in spite of all of our sin, in spite of the fact that this is really unjust, that we would even be able to receive this. So let's take a moment. Let's pray. I just encourage you to pray to yourself right now, just thanking Jesus for what he's done, confessing sin. God, you know my heart. You know all the ways that I need you. Lord, I'm praying that I would believe and trust your gospel more and more each day. I would trust that you went to the cross for me. Lord, we ask you for this. It's in your name. Let's partake of the, the body of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, Lord, we ask this morning that we would just revel in what you've done for us, that, Lord, you have caused us to come alive, that you have caused us to be a new creation. We're so grateful for this. And so, Lord, I pray that you would drive that into our hearts this morning. It's in your name we pray.